We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined as always by Darius and Mike. And the Lakers bumped their winning streak up to four games with a 116-105 to 105 victory over the Charlotte Hornets in a, a fun game, a well-played game. I actually thought the Hornets played fairly well, but the Lakers played better. And no one... Uh, Nobody better than LeBron, Mike. Huge night with 37 points, played some great defense, um, really, you know, putting his stamp back on the MVP conversation. Yeah, no question, Pete. So when we were discussing what to talk about, and this is a couple of days ago, you know, we were thinking, hey, let's let's kind of let's get back ahead of the LeBron is the leading MVP candidate. And then after the game last night, whether it was Frank Vogel or Alex Caruso or LeBron himself, all of the questions were about the MVP. And I think it's start. It's, it's obvious now for a couple of reasons. And the, the initial, so LeBron was kind of the, you know, the uh, at least what we say in the media favorite for a while as the Lakers got out to another hot start. And, and then, you know, the Embiid narrative kind of picked up as, uh, as Philly, was playing better as his individual statistics were up there. Philly was number one in the East and the Lakers hit their first rough patch um, in February. And then when they lost a couple of games, all of a sudden, and again, this is very, very general from a narrative standpoint, all of a sudden it was, well, yeah, there are a couple other guys in the mix. I don't know about LeBron anymore. Uh, look, you know, look at what Damian Lillard is doing in Portland. How about Jokic? Uh, look at those stats. Uh, I heard somebody on a, uh, on, a national pod making a Giannis case again uh, and, you know, then James Harden. And so, but I think that what we're, what we're seeing and not that it's not that it's like just statistically. So just statistically LeBron is, you know, somewhere between like the 10th and 15th most all around productive uh, player at this point in terms of your counting stats. But I think that ignores the impact that he's been having uh, on defense the, which which you can't say about some of those other guys I just mentioned, you know, whether it's Lillard um, or Jokic, you know, Embiid did have a good defensive argument. That's why he was up there. Giannis has a defensive argument, but like all of those things, what we know to be true is that LeBron is still the best player in the world. And he's still proving that on a night to night basis. And I always think when things are at least somewhat close statistically, and certainly in terms of team record, where the Lakers are now back into the two spot, they're one and a half gap back of Utah. Utah's lost five of eight. Like all of those things, I think, are going to continue with the Lakers playing better ball. So, Darius, that's that's to me where if we if we're 
really trying to prognosticate and just think about what's going to happen rationally. The Lakers are going to be up there in terms of record. His numbers are going to be there at least close enough. And he's the best player. So uh, to me, the case is relatively simple. And I know it'll fluctuate at some point again. But right now, I'm glad that we're kind of back into having that LeBron MVP discussion. Everything that you just said is 100% right. The other thing is, and people are going to throw this out there as a demerit. Like LeBron is the sentimental favorite. He's probably been the best player in the league for the better part of his 18-year career, basically. You, you know, there was probably that period from the 03 draft, the 04 draft? 03. 03 draft. So there was probably a period in between 03 and 2010 where LeBron probably went through that same phase that like Michael Jordan went through when he first came into the league in in 84, which is just, oh, everyone knows that this dude is near or at the top of the league in terms of talent. But the way that you judge players isn't just based off of talent. It's based off of team success and and sort of stature that you earn in the league over time. And, and, and so during that window of time, you still had Shaq and Duncan and Kobe as probably the players who were more the face of what LeBron was aspiring to be. And thus, even if people would say that LeBron is maybe the most talented player, they weren't just gifting him the best player in the league status. It probably was not until like that 08 through 2012 range where he started to really leapfrog other players and be right there, I think, with Kobe as being the best player in the league, which is why Lakers fans held some animosity towards LeBron because he was coming for the crown. LeBron, though, has won four MVPs, and now we're talking about over a period of what? 10, 11 years where he's probably been clearly the best player in the league. So people are going to say, and he hasn't won the award in what, six years? Is it longer? Eight years. Eight years. And so for him to go this long, people are going to start to say, oh, well, this is the, they do this at the Oscars, right? Like, oh, Martin Scorsese, you didn't win for any of these great movies that you made back in the 70s and and 80s. We're going to give you best director for um, that movie with Matt Damon and Leo. um, The The Departed, Departed. right? That's not his best movie, but he got the award for that. And so there's going to be this, this like, oh, LeBron's a sentimental favorite. And that's seen as a knock, like... I'm sorry, like, I don't see that as a knock. He's the best player. He proved it again in last year's playoffs. I know this is a regular season award, but we can't continue to say like, oh, well, it's the most valuable player for the regular season. Let's talk about counting stats. Like, no, we're going to talk about who is the most valuable player in the entire league, the player who, if any team in the league had a chance to say, this is the player I want for an entire season, regular season and playoffs, this is the guy that that I want. And I'm not sure, gun to their head or truth serum in their arm, 30 GMs in the league, how many of them aren't going to say LeBron, Pete? Yeah, there are so many places where this... I feel like this conversation around MVP has gotten so far from its initial intention of what the award was supposed to be, or at least my perception of it, that it's turned to like very bizarre. And this goes all the way back to the year that Carl Malone won over Michael Jordan. And it was like, no, Bruh. it was, yeah. Still right. mad about that one. Right. And Bruh. that's 97, I think that was. So we're going over 20 years ago, almost 25 years ago. To the point where, you know, it's so much about narrative and all of these things that it's not just the on-court stats, but it's not it's not just the on-court play. There was a, I, you know, I go through the melts and one of the more striking moments of going through that is we had our four game losing streak before the All-Star break. And before the game, there's that clip of LeBron shoots a little shot. They're, they're in shoot around warming up. LeBron shoots a shot from the free throw line and then 
KCP leans back and like howls at the moon, right? And LeBron kind of gets a Clinton in his eye and he does the same thing. So they're both leaning back and howling at the moon, right? And they're having a good old time. And then LeBron uh, kind of skips over a couple steps and there's a ball on the ground and he flips it up in the air and it's very playful and Schroeder is smiling at him and LeBron walks away. It's just this fun moment. The, the main accounts tweeted it out a, a time or two. And this is before the game of after a four game losing streak, right? There are other teams that, that would have a different approach to that. The reason I bring that play up or that, that moment up is LeBron understands the multitude of ways that the multitude of factors that go into a championship season. And part of that is not getting too high, not getting too low and keeping the levity in what's not just a single complicated season a single marathon but essentially the second of a back-to-back of marathon seasons and he has an understanding of how to set and build culture that is something that i have an appreciation for from seeing him three years now uh you know three years on a day-to-day basis that i didn't understand about him prior to him coming to the lakers mike so to me that like it's not just his numbers, his production, his great defensive play. Uh, to me, honestly, to me, the one that means more is him making the all-defensive team, which I, I think is, if he could do that in year 18, is one of the more in extraordinary accomplishments in terms of an accolade in NBA history. Um, and I think he's certainly capable. But Mike, his his imprint on all of the team, not just on the court, but off of it, I think that plays into these conversations. Yeah, it should. And that honestly extends even to who's on the team in the first place, because what's the biggest reason why you would want to come to the Lakers the last couple of years, aside from the fact that it's it's L.A. is that like if all things were equal, uh, it's the team that most players would want to play for, I believe. But with that, with that said, the biggest reason is LeBron James, and that speaks to his value. But I want to be a little bit softer on the narrative issue, if I can, because the reason that exists is it's hard to really monitor the league and every player in it and know which player is playing the best, uh, what the context is, right? What, what they're being asked to do. It takes a lot of work. You have to watch all of the games. You have to look at all of the numbers. And so that's why a narrative takes hold is because not all the voters who, by the way, are more educated now than they used to be and are more into following the league closely but but again, in the three of us know it takes a lot. It takes a lot of nights um, sitting there watching and then reading about it and then listening to people talk. So it's I think that is the reason why, you know, he has fewer. He, he has the four MVPs because every year there has been a good case for the guy who ended up winning. There was a good case for Giannis last year. I, I thought it should have been LeBron, but there was a good case for Giannis. And it ended up being the people that made the case persuaded enough of the lay voters that it that became the narrative thing to do and, and you didn't want to get called out for disagreeing you know with some of sort of the kingmakers um of the voting and that's where things have really evolved into and it's why we started this podcast talking about lebron this year though is there that argument doesn't exist as much for someone else this year um outside of LeBron, outside of lebron his case of value is the same this year as it was last year Um, And, you know, maybe it was a little different the year before because of the injury that he had and because of the Lakers youth and because of the the relative place in the standing. And then in Cleveland, it was it was more of a, I think, voter fatigue thing. And Darius, here's the last point about this. I want to make into it. You made a good point before about how we we have to acknowledge like certain other things from the past. Uh, You mentioned Scorsese, for example. Well, this is what had me annoyed that Jimmy Butler wasn't an all-star this year. Cause didn't we all watch what happened last year in the finals? Yeah. Didn't, don't we all know? And guess what's happened to Miami? Yeah. The second that Butler started playing again, they won nine to 10 games. They're up to the four seed. We, I knew that was going to happen. We knew like, we knew why. So why? So you have to bake that into your voting, right? To an extent. So it's, yeah, it's, it's just like that. All of that stuff is, has to be accounted for. I think that the MVP award has morphed into the idea of like how valuable you are based off of 
almost a statistical argument, right? And so I think Giannis last season, maybe in Russ's triple-double season to a certain extent, those players were obviously super valuable to their teams, and it showed, but the culmination of that was almost always a statistical like statistical markers that those players were just like, oh my goodness, eye-popping stats, right? Like Giannis was playing like 30 minutes last season and basically scoring a point a minute and grabbing a rebound every other minute, right? And was playing and was crowned the defensive player of the year, right? And even if us three might have voted Anthony Davis instead, he was he also had a valid argument to be defensive player of the year. Mike, like it's not like he's a he's he's a slouch on that end. He's definitely first team level all defense. And and to me, if you're at that level, you can win the award. Right? Like, especially if you're a multi-purpose big slash wing. Pete, did you want to chime in and say something there? No? No, no, go ahead. Keep going. Keep going. No, so so when I think of LeBron, I do think the ideas of that you brought brought up, Pete, in terms of culture setting and leadership and stewardship of a team and a roster throughout the course of the regular season in preparation for what the goals of the regular season are should be taken into account when we're talking about the most valuable player in the league. Like people scoffed. I remember our friend of the pod, Dave McMenamin caught a bunch of heat last year on Twitter and in other places because he had sort of talked about Kobe's death and the China trip and everything, all the adversity that the Lakers faced last year and the success that the team had in the face of that adversity and directly pointing that back to LeBron's leadership as guiding them through, Dave gave LeBron credit for that with the context of the MVP and people sort of like shrugged that off as nothing. Like, yeah, but Giannis has a, a PR of 34 and right and like look at his on off numbers and like i get that i get the statistical stuff matters it's the game it's why we keep score it's why there's a scoreboard those numbers matter we can't diminish those to nothing obviously pr does not matter i just want to jump in and no it does not anyways so what i would say though is that that this other stuff matters too and when i look at lebron it's like I go back to the point I made earlier, which is that that he is the player who sets the path of his team best to position them to navigate the regular season to set that team up to win the NBA championship. And I do not know how you cannot place value when we talk about value. How valuable is that? Super valuable, in my opinion. So that's the disconnect. And if I could make one change to the voting for the MVP award. It would be to include the playoffs in that. Now you might get too skewed the other direction where it's like nothing else matters except the best player on the best team. And that guy wins the championship. I would argue that should be the biggest factor in, in who wins MVP. But part of the disconnect is that culture setting in that stewardship. You're right is for being able to lead the team all the way to the championship, whereas the MVP voting stops at the end of the regular season. And so what the best players in the league are playing for are is not necessarily the thing that the MVP award gets voted on, Mike. That is, that's the exact point. That's, that's the exact point right there. The best players in the league most of the time are on good teams. And sometimes you have an exception here or there, whether it's a trade or uh, whether it's a young player that's ascending and you know hasn't had his shot in a good spot yet. But that is, to me, so significant that we always have to keep in mind. It's kind of like LeBron and Pat Riley use the, the main thing as the main thing. Well, there's a reason why I mentioned earlier LeBron's maybe you know the 15th, quote unquote, statistically all around, but inc- incorporating every statistic right now. He could be the first if he wanted to, you know, it's, we've seen that on a certain mm-hmm. night, you know, so sure. that's, and that's the point, like, that's the point of what he is, he is building 
to something while still um, having his value at the highest. And some of the guys that have the best statistics, whether it's because of age or because of, uh, of opportunity or reps or they're playing more minutes um, or they're, they don't have as much talent on the team. You know, sometimes guys get punished for, for just being on good teams. You think of like the Stephen Durant warriors, right? Uh, there were no MVPs uh, one in the regular season there. So that all plays into this as well, but it's, it, it, I, I'm kind of defeating my own point from earlier when I'm saying that it is tough to really track all of this uh, and to keep all of that in mind. But I, I think it, it's important that we try to, especially this year. And I think the good news, if you're somebody that wants LeBron to win the MVP is that this, the narrative is, is building and settling that. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Way, uh, you know, regardless of if there are a couple guys that have better statistics and, and even if, if there's somebody that's right there in sort of the win-loss column. Uh, so an AD's injury played a role in that as well. And there's been a massive shift um, in the Lakers offensive philosophy since the all-star break. And after the break, uh, I want to talk about that because it plays right into why I believe LeBron is the MVP because he plays so heavily into this. Like any good team, hiring the right employees for your front office is just as important as recruiting the best players for the game. That's why you need Indeed. Indeed is the job site that makes hiring easy as one, two, three, post, screen, and interview, all on Indeed. Get your quality shortlist of candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description faster. Only pay for the candidates that meet must-have qualifications and schedule and complete video interviews in your Indeed dashboard. Indeed makes connecting with and hiring the right talent fast and easy. With tools like Indeed Instant Match, giving you quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your job description immediately, and Indeed skills tests that on average reduces hiring time by 27%. You can choose from more than 130 skills tests, then add your must-have requirements so you only pay for applications that meet them. According to Talent Nest, Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined. If you're hiring, you need Indeed. Get started right now with a free $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Get a $75 credit at Indeed.com backslash BlueWire. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through June 30th. Terms and conditions apply. So this season has been fascinating to me from Frank Vogel's perspective, right? Uh, That's something that we've always tried to do. Darius says, you know, put ourselves in the respective different parties' shoes to see their perspective and the factors that they're weighing. And so from Vogel's perspective, we talked a lot about how last season he had the ability to prepare with a four-month hiatus toward the end of the season with the suspension of the season. Um, That really plays into somebody's ability to prepare and be ready for all of these different contingencies in a way that a normal regular season does not. This regular season is the complete opposite of that. Practice time has been limited. Uh, the The preparation aspects are greatly reduced from a normal regular season. And so putting myself in, in Vogel's shoes to the best that I can, I, I've been really curious about his approach. And uh, Mike, you've you've appropriately pointed out that uh, the half-court offense has been kind of a, a thorn in in our, our side and something that we've talked about. And even LeBron has mentioned recently, like, Hey, our offense wasn't good in the first half of the regular season. Um, and, but our defense has really carried the day. 
the Lakers have made a shift toward a lot more ball screens, a lot more of the pick and roll game. And the thing about that is there's there are teams that do that with great success and have over the last decade of of the NBA. Uh, Mike D'Antoni being his teams and that even carries to Brooklyn that is at the forefront of that. Those teams can often find reduced success in the postseason as a result of that. We'll get into the reasons why I don't think that will be true of the Lakers. But Darius, the combined factor of we don't get a lot of time to practice and the talent on this roster. I think we've added three really, really quality pick and roll players all the way to, to fantastic pick and roll players in Trez, Dennis Schroeder and THT. THT scored in double digits for the first time, uh, three straight games over these last three games. He's been fantastic since coming out of the break, especially on the offensive end. We're really getting him downhill. I would love to talk about our, our pick and roll game if you're seeing the same thing that, that I'm seeing, but I've seen a, a great adjustment toward that, which I think simplifies things from a which in a way that's appropriate to the circumstances of this season. If you're not going to have a lot of time to practice and you've got a lot of dudes that are great on ball screens, you can have a variety that doesn't always exist if it's just James Harden running a, a ball screen and he's your primary threat. Um, We've got all of these variations, both in terms of the setup, but also the personnel. And LeBron is that skeleton key that you always talk about is he can be a great pick and roll ball handler. But I'm seeing him as a partner with Dennis and with Alex, which has gone back to last year as well as the ball screener in a way that that has our, our pick and roll possibilities. I'm super excited. And I think it's a big reason why we're scoring as much as we are now. You stole my thunder with that last point. Ah, sorry. <laughs> when, when you were when you were talking about what are you seeing out there, LeBron is one of the only players in the league that is going to be as effective as a pick and roll ball handler as he is um, a screener in the pick and roll, and his threat and gravity as as a threat is is tantamount to the team's success in that action. Um, you you know you can talk about the Schroeder Trez pick and roll and like the chemistry that not only Dennis but THT and to a certain extent even Caruso in his first action back last game like Vogel had said it maybe two and a half or three weeks ago like hey we gotta start looking for Trez a little bit more like on this role mm -hmm. in in the screen and roll like we like that was when they weren't running it as much but. When we run it, this is why we're running it. We're running it to try to get this guy action, right? And so if we don't give him the ball, then like the frequency is, it's all out of balance, right? Why, why are we running it at all? To get back to Braun, he, he is, he is just one of the most devastating pick and roll players that you have in the league because he is such a good passer and understands all of the reads like against who was the game before this, this past game, my mind is going blank Minnesota. Mm -hmm. The Lakers ran the same pick and roll setup four straight possessions, Pete. Mm -hmm. And I actually want to write a post on this, but I haven't pulled the video yet because you know, I'm not Laker film room and it's not, it's, it's more of a process for me <laughs> to, to get this stuff done. Is not my expertise. That said, they ran the same action for straight possessions, right? It was like they involved Kuz in it, and then they, and then Trez comes up and sets the screen. As Kuz pops above the break, Trez is coming up. He sets the screen. Trez gets downhill. Bron hit him for a bounce pass dunk, lob, and now now it's three straight scores, and Minnesota's like. WTF, we have to figure this thing out. So next possession, they go to it again. And Braun, you already see the wheels turning in Braun's head. In fact, he's seeing the future with this stuff. So he already knows. <laughs> Minnesota crashes down to the paint. And they probably have four of their five defenders are in the paint at this point. Like, we're not giving up a layup or a dunk to Trez here and Braun just happily skips the ball to the corner 
wide open three point shot. It might have been Wes. It was Kuz. Oh, it was Kuz. But mm-hmm. made three, and it's just like, okay, there's nine straight points right there out game, of yeah. game over. Yeah, game over. Like that was it, right? And 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 all of that is okay. based off of LeBron's brilliance. Basically, him reading the defense, understanding where where the opening was, pocket pass, oh, delay, I'm going to drag you up, lob, like, oh, you're sunk in, skip over the top, wide open three. Y'all have no answers for this. I'm ahead of you. And then fast forward to last night's game. It's closing time. Dennis is on the ball and Braun is at the elbow and they're going to run And Steve Jones highlighted this on Twitter, and I retweeted it this morning. But they had a big, I think Bridges was on Dennis, and P.J. Washington was on LeBron. And Devontae Graham is on KCP. And so KCP typically would just either sit strong side corner, right, in order to be an option for the kickout and make sure that there's no help. Or he would clear through to the other side and he would typically run baseline. Braun understands, though, that they're going to switch that pick and roll between him and Dennis because Miles Bridges and P.J. Washington are like-sized defenders. And he doesn't want that switch. He wants a different switch. And so he tells KCP, who's defended by the smaller Graham, to screen for Dennis Charlotte switches that screen and roll, and now Graham is on Dennis. And then Braun goes up and sets the screen. That's not a switch opportunity. He now rolls to the empty side because KCP, after he sets that screen, cleared. And then Dennis drives middle, draws help, kicks it off to Braun, layup. And it's that level of both pick and roll ball handler and screener within the pick and roll and diagramming the play, whether he's on or off the ball, that is just so high level. And when you talk about value- When you talk about value, Mike, to me, it's being in the hub, being the fulcrum of everything that your team does on one side of the ball. But with AD out, it's both sides of the ball. And the value, too, with LeBron in those situations is that he's 6'9". Like, I think the only other player that has that level of mastery, that level, like elitely mastery of the pick and roll is maybe Chris Paul. And, you know, Chris isn't that big and you can just you can blitz him, you know, at a certain point and just make him before he gets into that action. Can't do that to LeBron. If you try to blitz LeBron swing, you know, corner wide open three like whatever. It's just a, you know, I think James Harden is kind of in between where, you know, Harden is it's a little harder to do that to him because he is bigger. He can hold off a body. and, And I do think that he has increased value there. But you know, going up and even down the rest of that best player list statistically that I was talking about, you know, Jimmy Butler, not the same level, although he's got some skills in there. It, it just, you know, Jokic is obviously different. He doesn't have that same kind of explosion where if you do, he's just going to get to the basket there, he's got to kind of turn his back and body and back down. Um, but Pete, the two points for you. The first one was thinking about the way that, uh, the, so I, I had asked you this earlier. Frank Vogel said after the Minnesota game that they had switched the spacing on the screen roll sort of specifically for that matchup after they had crushed Golden State with a different type of spacing in the screen roll. And so I'll start there. Can you I know that you've watched that back. Can you explain that? Like what what exactly is he talking about with the spacing? Yeah, so we've got a multitude of ball screen options and um you know, the the full answer to your question would be a, a 30 minute <laughs> answer, but it, it's mostly we are putting multiple pick and roll options on different sides of the floor. And what becomes difficult defensively is defending the pick and roll after ball reversal because your responsibilities defensively switch. So, for example, there is one play against I think this was the Golden State game, but it may have been Minnesota. Uh we've been using more step up screens, right? Which is when a, our, our bigs, their back is parallel to the baseline, right? And so it's a screen when, and that's a flat angle ball screen. And what that does is it gives the ball handler the option to go in either direction. And it's kind of this dance where you're making eye contact. If you got the ball, you're making eye contact with the screen and going, Oh, we're going to set this on the left side. We got to set this on the right side. And it's all based on, and this is where reps come into play, right? Where 
you get on the same page better the more you play together on on like hey i know you like to do this when the defender does that type of thing where that becomes really difficult is like on this play kyle kuzmo is setting a step up screen for dennis on one side of the floor and then dennis reverses the ball to the other side and trez sets a step up screen for tht and now, because Kuz is a threat as a scorer, Dennis is a threat to get downhill, the defenders have to respect them. So that action on that side of the floor, it's kind of a dummy action, which is what we call false action or, or uh, a decoy type of action. You have to actually come up there. So when the ball gets reversed to THT and Trez is an expert screen setter and understands these angles and and now Darius, you had mentioned recently that the league has kind of figured out THT and the book is, it has, you know, they know what he does well. This is a brilliant tweak that Vogel has done to get THT going downhill anyway. He's done a couple of things. So when that, because Kuz and Trez, or I'm sorry, because Kuz and Dennis are occupying two defenders on one side of the floor, that's THT in space, getting downhill against a big with Trez rolling off of that. And as you'll notice, LeBron James is standing in the corner. He's the fifth guy on the court on this play. He's standing in, he's not involved in any of this pick and roll, these threats, right? Which is to say that we've got pick and roll guys on, on the court everywhere. That's one thing. And then uh, another thing we've done is we've gone to a lot more horn sets um, and stagger screens. For THT in particular, we kind of run this hybrid of it's kind of half horns, half, half stagger screen, where THT will start in the full left-hand corner, and he will get those two screens that you normally get off of a stagger. And then the big, usually Trez, as that last guy, is on the opposite elbow, and, the bigs, and Trez has the ball. So THT is getting one screen, two screens, comes around. He's getting a third screen, essentially, on that handoff from Trez. And... Darius, even if you know the book on THT, it's really difficult to navigate three different screens. And so I think the common factor is we've got so many guys who can get downhill. By the way, Anthony Davis is not involved in this yet, <laughs> right? And we've got so oh, many guys between. No, Pete, so just the, the other thing, to, and to, we kick this either back to you or Darius with AD, that to me is the biggest reason why they're still, they're just running more of these ball screens, no AD and no Gasol, and you replace them with Damian Jones, right? Uh, and Montrez Harrell, and then to an extent, mm -hmm. Kuz. So like, it's partly just based on personnel and need. And, and I am curious um, when AD comes back, right? Like how much of these packages change and evolve? But I would say that AD multiplies that, right? Uh, so much of last year, right, was I, I talked about the idea of stacking advantage. TH Hills, THT is a monster when he gets downhill. Dennis is a monster in his own right and that he does it a little bit differently, right? Um, LeBron is LeBron, obviously. He can get downhill as the ball handler or as the screener. We know Anthony Davis. Damian Jones has, has provided a vertical threat. We've got so many guys, D, that can do that, that just getting guys into space, I feel like we've got – the, we've got enough personnel to vary it enough and to be able to put teams in ball reversal, pick and roll situations with still a devastating option on that other side of the floor that even when AD comes back, even when Mark comes back, although Mark doesn't fit this style of play as much, um, I, I, I think that this is this is the way to go going forward in a season where there's not much practice time. You're not going to get super pre precise on your five on five type of sets. Like, I hope this continues. I hope it continues too. So to go back to what you were saying, second side action is my favorite type of it's that's my jam. Yeah. Man. Yes, it is. <laughs> is like, and if you guys all stop looking at Darius's face right now, you would understand. All coaches preach ball <laughs> reversal. All coaches preach ball reversal, right? And they preach it for this, for the exact reason that you were explaining, Pete, is that modern day NBA help print principles, but this was true back in the 80s as well, right? But but modern day NBA help principles are all about taking away the front of the rim, right? And the dynamic players as both drivers when they have the ball in their hands and lob threats, right? Make it so, so that weak side tags are basically 
it's standard operating procedure now for every defense in the league. And it's one of the reasons why Utah has been so good this season is that they have found ways to exploit Gobert's role ability with pristine spacing on the weak side and guys who were looking for that skip pass every single time. Right. And, and two and two guys who can run ball screen action on different sides of the floor in Conley. Mitchell and Conley. Right. And so what the Lakers are doing in terms of optimizing Dennis and LeBron as elite strong side players. Right. Braun elite. Dennis is, is plus plus level. Right. But guys who are definitely comfortable in strong side side action. And this is where I was talking about. THT sort of getting figured out, right? It's it's all strong side stuff. It's all like, oh, okay, well, we've got we've got six people on this side of the floor and a seventh lurking, right? And when I say six people, I mean three Lakers, they're three defenders, and then a guy who was splitting the difference weak side, typically, right? And that, and there's always help at the nail. And that's the seventh, that's the seventh body and navigating that many players becomes difficult, especially for a second year player who has not been put in these situations very often. And he was getting by on guile and sort of like, there's no tape on me yet. And so you haven't figured me out. And now there's a bunch of tape on him. And what Frank has said is like, no, nah, man, go weak side. Now, now it's your man who is at the nail. And, and when you start to get downhill, that guy is recovering to you. Yes. And that's, that's why. The big difference. Yes. And then he hits him with the one Euro step or the one little shuffle and he turns his body and, and, he, and you're out. It's game over. That's why, right. Why do you think he's knocking so many players to the damn ground the reason why he's doing it isn't just because he's strong and and he's compact those like those things are definitely true he's doing it because they're freaking off balance and yeah. then he's shoulder and then he's shouldering them right and he's putting them in the damn sidecar and he's knocking them to the street like he's putting them on the sidewalk on the sidewalk yep right <laughs> so and and then he's doing that. I call it a slalom step, right? Because it's like slower and it's half court. And he's just like, oh, whoop, I'm over here now. Like, you missed me. I'm going around this bar now. His yo. footwork is so good. And yo, Caruso, Caruso was doing it too last game. He just couldn't finish the sandwich, mm-hmm. which, which, you know, he's look, he said he's rusty. He played like <laughs> seven minutes in the last uh, two and a half weeks because of the All Star break. And then he got hurt uh, right away. But, like that's something too. He can do that too. Like he can, because teams aren't expecting that from him. They're, they're sort of, uh, they're not even really fit. And so he's going to be able to keep getting some of those easy buckets. And he did that by the way, guys, I, I'm even in the finals. I remember there were a couple games where he was able to get that same action. Cause teams were like, okay, Crusoe's got the ball. We can chill, you know, l- let's wait and see if LeBron gets it on the other side of the court. The, the thing is, is you can tell when the Lakers spacing is right and you can tell when it's a little bit off. The times that you can tell it's a little bit off is when that flat angle pass is getting deflected or pushed out higher and higher because that tells me that the Lakers spacing isn't quite one 100% correct. And But to get back to the original stuff that you were asking about, Mike, in terms of spacing and Vogel talking about like, oh, well, we've adjusted some, some of our spacing spacing principles they are playing i would almost argue it the spacing has changed some but it's personnel that has impacted spacing as much as anything else like we've talked about gasol being um this this hub of offense in delay sets and being able to pull players out by parking himself above the break. And that's true. It's it's true in practice and it's true in theory. Where it gets muddied some is that Gasol, before AD got hurt, basically, was not shooting at all. And right before he went out into health and safety pro protocols, he did start to shoot more. And you were seeing the value that that shooting was was adding. 
But what the Lakers are doing now is basically playing smaller so much more or having a real dive threat in the game almost all of the time. And, and, and so it's almost always an either or. It's, it's Keith playing center, right? Or it's last night, it was Braun effectively playing center because he was the biggest dude on the court or you could say yeah, it was Kuz. Because Charlotte right? went super went to the really small line to start this. Yeah, so it was like yeah. Braun and Kuz and then guards, basically, right? And and so or it's Trez or Damian Jones. And Trez doesn't have vertical spacing, but he's got downhill gravity. And Jones has and Jones has vertical spacing. Right. And downhill gravity that comes with that. And and so I would argue, Pete, that some of the improved spacing and offensive production that has come from that improved spacing is a related to the fact the Lakers are hitting threes again. Right. But B, that the roles are so much cleaner now and that's not to sort of pin this on Gasol at at all because I don't see him as a problem per se what I do see though is that the way the Lakers are playing now are so much more geared toward this toward the real offensive strengths of the guys who are available for them and the beautiful thing about AD's return Mike is AD is elite elite as a role man and as a pop man and he has gravity beyond the three-point line just because he's anthony davis in the same way that lebron has gravity above the three-point line because he's lebron james no question my my question about ad was more they they just love to give him and lebron sort of alternate post-ups right as opposed to the screen roll game so it's not that of course ad we always you always think like why don't they just you know, have LeBron and AD play screen role for the whole game, which they could beat. But so that was, that was more the framing of that question about Davis. Yeah, for sure. And that, so that is something that right before it, it, it's a shame in that Denver game that AD got hurt in LeBron and AD were killing it on ball screens. It was one of their best games from that respect. And I, I watched that, you know, that stretch before, you know, that game got out of hand and before AD got hurt and it was like, yeah, Denver's got no chance to stop us in our, our ball screen game. And so adding him to this mix is just that, again, if you're stacking an attribute of the team, a positive attribute, if you're stacking them on top of each other, he's the foundation of that or LeBron is. And then Anthony Davis is right after that. My question is, can we fit Mark into this? And D, go ahead. And I know you got more to add on, on the other element of it, but I'm, I'm struggling to see Again, I don't pin it on pin any issues on Mark. It's just a style of play issue. And there there will be circumstances where having a five who can shoot and can uh, beat you with the, the great passing from the top of the key, that's going to be very valuable. But in a broader pick and roll sense, if that's what we're transitioning toward, I'm curious about Mark's fit going forward. So let me... Let me wrap up my final thought on AD and Mike's point, which I think is super important here. Please do. Mike, in the playoffs, the Lakers are going to go back to their post-up stuff. They are going to post up LeBron. They are going to post up AD. I think one of the reasons why they'll do it more in the playoffs than they will during this stretch is because they will have the built-in practice time, like film room time, and preparation for a specific opponent time in order to build in the appropriate counters that the Lakers have not been able to get really get going during this regular season when defenses were showing them a variety of different looks against those post-ups and the Lakers weren't doing weren't doing well in terms of countering those counters in order to get the types of shots on the weak side that they would want to generate during a game and in order to break out of that. And, and so I do think during the playoffs, they will go back to that because the individual talents of being able to draw two with a single guy without involving multiple defenders is super valuable. And it is harder to stop when you understand floor positioning, spacing, and how to counter the specific tactics of a single team that you're going to play upwards of seven times over a two-week period. Getting back to Gasol, Pete, his value is still going to be defensively. 
and his value is still going to be like, all right, we can turn up the pressure defensively with Mark in a very interesting way that then leads to transition offense. And I think mm-hmm. this is going to be the malleability and, and like the morphine that we talked about during last year's playoffs where the Lakers are going to have a bunch of different clubs in their bag that they can go to like, Oh, it's time to play this sand wedge. Yep. Like, Oh no. Like I'm not stinging driver right now off of the tee. Like I'm going long iron here and I'm just whipping this thing right into the middle of the fairway. Like they're going to have all of these different styles and personnel combinations that they can go to. And it's why credit again to Vogel, big picture stuff. He talked about it the whole first half of the season. This is my time to learn these guys and practice and see what works and, and what doesn't. And I think the addition of Jones is an interesting wrinkle that we've seen because Vogel has seemed very comfortable going back to sort of putting Jones in the JaVale role and saying like, Hey, jump high, challenge things at the rim, try to dunk, right? Go after the offensive glass when we put pressure on the rim. And you see that there's value in that type of player. And I think that it's all sort of come together for them, for the Lakers lately, with this mix of guys. But I do think that when Mark and AD get healthy, they're going to be able to stack on top of this in the way that you mentioned earlier. They've just got so many good options, uh, right? It's why they're the title favorite. They just, they really do. And my quick two cents on Mark and his return is you start the game big, you beat teams up defensively uh, with your intelligence and your IQ. You have him space the floor um, in in that five spot so that LeBron and AD have more room to attack, whether they're running screen roll, whether they're posting up. Maybe you could even run some sets where you send Mark into the corner, like Brooke Lopez style. I know sometimes he's kind of above the break, but like there's plenty of stuff I think they can still figure out. And then the good news is, let's say it's not working. Okay. Hey, Tress, come exactly. Let, let's get downhill. You know, it, it's that's that's where the options come in. Or hey, Keith, you know, let's let's just go straight to this or whatever uh, you have to do. And the final the final thing, uh, Pete, I wanted to uh, put back to both of you guys. So in politics, there's the term bedwetting. You guys familiar with this? Um, it's it's basically any time you're you're in a, a race and your can like a poll comes up and your candidate is down, you know, for whatever reason, even though it's it's something that you might project as something that's going to change, but you know, it causes sort of a freak out in the room. Like, uh oh, did you see the new New York Times poll? Like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And I felt like last year for the Lakers, that was the bubble, right? When they got there, those were the seeding games. That was the kind of bedwetting time, you know, for uh, for Laker fans. And wait, what's going on? And, and you had to kind of reel everybody back in and like, wait, wait, hold on. Here's the context. Here's why they're struggling. It's not going to matter. And just before the All Star break was, I think, the bedwetting for this season. You know, wait, they're not. What's going on with the half court offense? Uh, why like ad's out uh, shooters out they can't they can't score the intensity isn't there in defense they're not getting up and down in transition all of these things but then we knew why that was happening and i think that this start from the break and part of it's helped a bit um, with the schedule right they haven't been going up against powerhouses here but we're we're seeing again oh okay wait they're fine you know, the, here, look at LeBron. Here's these other guys stepping up. Look how well Kuz is playing. Shooters starting to get into these spots. Like they've got this, the the lob threat again. Uh, Caruso's back. Like they're they're fine. You know, so the, the I think that's the good news for now. The bedwetting can stop. Um, LeBron is the MVP favorite. They're going to keep getting guys back, and you know, all is pretty good in Lakerland. Yeah, I don't think there was any bedwetting from LeBron or Vogel or anyone on the team, right? This no, is no, of not, a, not a internal. Thing, yeah, right? All external. Yeah. However, those guys, it is their job to figure out the puzzle as best as they can. And going back to the idea that this is a really interesting season from Vogel's perspective, and there are certain challenges that don't exist or they're different in nature than they are during a normal regular season. If you are going to make a big shift in what you do at any point of the season, of this season in particular, it's going to be at the All-Star break. And so the... The shift toward more ball screens, I'm curious, that that's the unanswered question is, what does it look like when, not Anthony Davis comes back, right? He fits into that so so cleanly. But when Mark comes back, what is our approach toward that? That will be the indication to me of how much of a shift that we've made. Um, and so that is, in this upcoming period of time, 
probably the most interesting thing is, is this our new style of play on the offensive end? Because if we can, <laughs> if we can do what we've been doing the last few games on the offensive end with what we do on defense and have been doing all season, that's a, a just a really potent combo D. Yeah, I'll be very interested to see how Mark fits in. I do see him potentially being like release valve swing into second mm-hmm. side action when yep. there's a second big on the floor. I think that can especially worry with Anthony Davis, right? Mm-hmm. Where like Braun, Braun, Mark screen and roll for, for example, mm-hmm. Braun turns the corner pitch back to to Gasol, Gasol quick swing to Dennis, Dennis into instant ball screen with, with AD, AD. Mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like stuff like that. KCP is already on strong side corner with LeBron and Gasol. Right. And so now it's empty side screen and roll with Dennis and AD, which is honestly empty side screen, screen and roll with AD as the role man is easy money. Yeah. A terrorizing action for any defense. Um, So I do think that there's ways to fit to, to fit him in. I think Big picture Gasol, it's still going to be defense first, but second big picture thing to me is how aggressive is he going to be offensively, right? Like Damian Jones, for example, he's probably like a 12 and a half usage guy, right? Mm-hmm. But if he's touching the ball, it's probably in in a position where he's looking to score. It Like if he's right. touching the ball at all. That's right. And, and, and that's not the case with Mark. No, it's not. It's like probably if that ratio for Jones is 90-10, right? Like 90% of the times I'm going to try to score or score here. It's probably like 15, 20 to 80, right? Like like 20-80 for Mark. It's totally on the opposite end of the spectrum. He probably needs to up that a little bit more for him to be considered a threat which then dominoes into how he fits more seamlessly into what I think is a much more aggressive style offense that the Lakers have, have been um, playing since the all-star break. Yeah, ab- absolutely. That's going to be one of the more fascinating things, but uh, Lakers are on a nice little run right now. Uh, got Atlanta, who's won seven straight coming up on Saturday in an afternoon game. So that'll be an interesting one for a number of reasons. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires, it's good, and the Lakers win the game! The Lakers win the game! Rebound of Lonnie, three seconds left. Van Exel to win it, it's on the way, good! Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. With his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe, hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one. Miss it. Unbelievable. It's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. Bad insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good. Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers. James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. 
That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's U-N-I-F-Y-D healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.